Well, today we are in part three of a series that we've been in uh, through this month of September from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's a series that is entitled Foundation. And two weeks ago, we uh, talked about the importance of the maturing church and uh, this idea of what does a mature church look like? Or maybe, as we've talked about, maybe it's better to say the maturing church as we are growing uh, more in the knowledge of Christ and obedience of Him and, and also just more maturity. And two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that a maturing church focuses on things that matter, as opposed to uh, the immaturity of getting distracted by things that don't matter so much. And one of the specifics of that, of those verses was Paul was addressing this uh, area of human leadership and how people were gravitating around Paul and Apollos and sort of creating camps around them. And, and he was addressing that issue. And the whole idea two weeks ago was this, this sense that one of the evidences of maturity is unity. And that a church that is unified is one that is able to focus on God's mission in the world. And so that's why it matters, this idea of unity, this idea of maturity, of growing up in, in our faith uh, individually and also collectively. Last week we looked at verses 5 to 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul addresses uh, two tensions, really, and uh, how the mature church needs to learn to live in these tensions. And oftentimes, in, again, in immaturity, we kind of polarize and gravitate around one of the extremes of them as opposed to understanding of how we are to live in the midst of this tension. And one of those was this question of what does God do and what do we do? And so he addresses that issue, and, and he, he talked about how God is first and we are always second. And Paul really helps us to understand how to get that straight, that the fact that, that what we do is only possible because of the grace of God and God's sovereignty in our lives, and that God is the initiator of our faith, but that our work does matter, but that we have to keep in perspective God is first and that we are second. The second tension that we looked at uh, last week was how we do our work. And the imagery that is in that text of builders and gardeners and how God has wired us all differently. And we, we talked about those two as postures. This idea that others can see our posture even in a better way than we can see our own posture. And that we have a tendency to approach the work of our lives and the work of the, our ministry and whatever we do in, in God's kingdom work in one of two postures oftentimes as builders and as gardeners. Some being more hands-on and more tactile and more kind of immediate focused and gardeners who really focus on the context and the environment. And again, the idea that both are good, both are necessary. And the mature church recognizes the need for different postures and different uh, people and even different spiritual gifts, things that we're going to be talking about uh, a month from now as we'll get into that a little bit later. But today we want to look at uh, two critical questions from 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 to 15. And those two questions are simply this. What is the foundation of my life? And how is it that I am building on that foundation? Those are really the two questions that, that Paul brings out in this text. Uh, simple questions, but maybe hard questions to answer and at times even to evaluate. And we'll, we'll look at some of that. So let's just read the verses uh, 10 to 11 first of all. Uh, the section where Paul continues using this building metaphor and he says this. He says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul 
begins again, and he says it's, it's only because of the grace of God. He says it's only because of the grace of God that I can do anything. It's only because of the grace of God and how he has redeemed me by the blood of Jesus that I have any hope for the future. I have any capacity through the Holy Spirit to do this work of the kingdom that God has given me to do. And so he acknowledges that again right at the outset. And it's only by the grace of God. But then he also goes into this language again of builder language. And he even says, you know, I have laid the foundation now like an expert builder. And he says, whoever is building on, and he says, now others are building it. And whoever is building on this must be very careful. And so again, he uses this builder language that sometimes we can almost feel a little bit uncomfortable with because we say, well, again, that question from last week, how much do do we build? And some people, you know, wrestle with that, like to even speak about building in the kingdom of God. And yet, Paul seemed pretty comfortable with that language. Paul seemed pretty comfortable with that analogy, that metaphor, as we acknowledge that God is first and we are second. And it is only by the grace of God, but that our work matters and what we do matters. And so he points to this question of, what is our foundation? He also points to a generational piece, which I like here. He says, you know what, I laid the foundation like an extra builder, but now others are building on it. And he's acknowledging that there are people who go before and that there are people who come after and that there is a a history piece, a generational piece that happens in the work of the kingdom. A couple of years ago, uh, Kevin Weens and I had the privilege of uh, doing a special unique trip down to Panama to where our partnership is that you've heard lots about over the years and we've had that partnership for 10 years. And a couple of years ago was the 50th anniversary of the Mennonite Brethren Church in Panama, the 150th anniversary of the MB Church in the world. And so we were invited to go down and to celebrate with them. And it was so fascinating and such a privilege to be able to meet some of those people who have been part of this work for 50 years in that region of the world. And to meet some of the missionaries who were down there and who were part of establishing the local churches and, and these missionaries who are now long retired and hearing stories of even those who have since passed away. And of this generational thing of people who have laid the foundation, people who have done the work, who have given their lives for things. Meeting the nationals there who are, who've grown up in that region and who are the uh, Waunan leaders in that area and who have been building on this foundation of Jesus Christ for decades. I mean, what a, what a humble thing. And then to realize that whatever we do in our partnership is only building on that foundation that has already been established, that has already been so much hard work, so, much, uh, so many people's lives poured into this, and that we just have the privilege of continuing on and to build on what has gone before us. And we've been talking about the 50th anniversary of our church, Forest Grove Community Church. And again, now in this generation and those who are of the younger generation getting to build on all of that which has gone before. And this history of of all of the people who have given and poured their lives into investing in the life of a local church in its unique expression of Forest Grove Community Church. It now meets in, in two locations and looks very different than it did 50 years ago, but still this continuing work of others are building on it. And again, this idea of even this sanctuary being built 30 years ago, approximately 30 years ago, and a congregation of about 300 people building a sanctuary that seats about 850. With this vision and this idea that we need to build the church for those who are not yet here, that we need to continue to build for the sake of the kingdom and those who do not yet know Jesus. And so Paul is pointing 
us to this fact that there are those who go before us and that there are those who will come after us. But we have one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And so it begs the question for all of us, what is the foundation of our life? It's the first question that Paul is really getting at here and challenging this church in Corinth that he's writing to, and he's saying, you know what, you need to make sure that you know what your foundation is. It's a critical question for so many reasons, not the least of which it is a question that has eternal significance about our, our eternal destiny, this reality of this heaven and hell, and this idea that how we build our lives and the foundation that our lives are built on matters. It has eternal significance. It also frames our hope for the future. Because how we answer this question and the reality of whatever our foundation is, is how it's the grid, it's the things that we put our trust in when the times get difficult and we look to have hope for a future beyond what we are experiencing right now. So how we answer this question is important, but not always really easy. It might be harder than we think. We might think, well, I I think I know the answer. I think my life is being built on the foundation of Jesus and on the gospel of Christ, but we might wonder, well, is that accurate or am I being deceived in some way? Or maybe we build on that foundation, but then there starts to be some drift in our lives and it starts to shift or it starts to crumble or it starts to be tested in different ways. And so it's a fair question. Well, how do we know? I think one of the questions that is the most helpful for us in assessing this is just simply this. Where do we go when there's nowhere to go? Where is it that we go when there's nowhere to go? When life has sort of taken a turn, we come to a place where we just feel stuck, where we are at a dead end and we don't know where to turn, when we seem to be out of options and we just don't know where to go. And we might be just sort of hanging on to this rope and there's a small knot at the end that we're just clinging on to and we're just not sure where to turn. I think it's at those very moments when we ask ourselves the question, where do we go when there's just nowhere to go? That it starts to get at the core of what is our foundation. Where is it that we turn to? You know, it might be a financial situation and you might find yourself in a financial place that is very different than even a year ago or a couple of years ago. And it might be because of job loss or changes in work or maybe it's with your business or whatever the case may be or a financial deal that just goes totally sideways and you find yourself in a financial situation that just leaves you with really nowhere to turn. Or maybe it's in some critical relationships in your life. Some critical relationships that are so important to you that are so central to your lives and suddenly something is in a mess and you don't know how to fix it. And you just feel at a loss as to how to kind of walk through it or to get over it or get past it or work your way through it and you just don't know where to go. Or maybe it's just simply your hope for the future. Maybe it's just because something has happened in your life. Maybe it's a loss that you have experienced and you're grieving deeply about a significant loss. Maybe there's been some damage to your reputation through something. Maybe it's your health that has suddenly taken a drastic turn and it doesn't look good. Whatever the case may be of what gets you there, but suddenly your hope for the future changes. Your hope for the future is being challenged and you feel again in some way that there's just nowhere to go. I don't know where to turn. And so the question is, is where do you go in those moments? What's your instinct? What's your determination 
Is it to turn to Jesus and is it to turn to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it to turn and put your trust in something else? David in uh, Psalm 56, verse 1 to 4, he writes this, and I just want to read these uh, few psalms that he pens when he's at a place where he's completely at a loss. Enemies literally all around him, surrounding him, feeling like his life is in danger, his reputation is in tatters, and he doesn't know where to turn. And he says this, O God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? Because what can mere mortals do to me? And here in this beautiful psalm, we see this truth of what David does when he has nowhere to go. And he returns to this foundation of his faith in God and the sovereignty of God and this God who loves him and who has called him and who is his shield and his protector and his rock. And all of these different words that he uses to describe his Lord and Savior. And so David in the Psalms is this model of somebody who who laments very openly and very honestly and in very raw forms, but returns to this foundation of who God is over and over again. And so again, this question, what is our foundation? It's a question that matters greatly. Because not only does it have eternal significance, but also it shapes our view of the present and also the future. And so we have to ask the question, what is it that we build our lives on? What is the foundation of our life? The second question that Paul gets to in this text is where he asks the question, what is it that you are building with? What kind of material are you building with? So even if the foundation of your life is this cross-centered gospel of Jesus, what kind of materials do you build with? Will it withstand the fire, the judgment? And so he says in 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll read in verse 12 and following, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So here in this text, Paul speaks to this truth of this judgment day. In the NIV, it talks about it as the day. This day when Christ returns and when God brings all things to completion and he says there will be a judgment. And he says, not only will your foundation be tested, but the materials of how you have built through your life will also be tested. Be tested and weighed. And so he uses these two broad categories of gold, silver, and jewels, and wood, hay, and straw. And the former ones being materials that in in the ancient world would have typically been used to build a temple. And the latter ones of the wood, hay, and straw that in the ancient world would have typically been used to build an ordinary home or ordinary buildings of one kind or another. But this truth that there is this fire, this judgment, this testing about what will survive. What is it that will have eternal value in our individual lives and also in our corporate lives as a church? So it's asking that question. Are we giving our lives to things that matter? Or are we distracted and entertain for hours with things that just don't matter. 
things of no eternal significance. Because it speaks of this reward or loss. And do we seek the glory of God in the way that we spend our days? Are we seeking to see lives transformed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we investing in others? What kind of relationships are we involved with? Are we just distracted with the trivial? Because you see, how you spend your life is determined by how you spend your hours. And so you have to ask the question, how is it that I'm spending my hours? What do my hours look like? How do I spend those hours during the day with opportunities that we have every single day, whether it's with coworkers or whether it's with just the gift of our children for however long God gives them to us? How is it that we spend our time, our hours, and so on? How is it that we spend our conversations? With every opportunity of a conversation, does it just stay on the surface level and never get any uh, thing of any kind of depth? Or do we spend our time wisely that even our conversations can be tested and say these were conversations of value? And so Paul is asking the question, how are you building on this foundation? Are you speaking the truths of Scripture into the lives of people? Are you evaluating the truths of Scripture into your own lives? Do people understand their need for a Savior even? So these are two really important questions for us that Paul brings out in this text. What is our foundation? And secondly, how are we building on it? What materials are we using? I want to go back and just look at this idea of foundations and have us think about maybe three images or three ways that we can think about foundations in our lives that I think will be helpful. And the first one is that reality that we have faulty foundations in our lives. And this image that there are faulty foundations that we build our lives on, sometimes intentionally, but oftentimes unintentionally, in ways that we are deceived or we find ourselves in, that this suddenly, subtly becomes the foundation of our lives and needs to be revealed and needs to be exchanged for this foundation of Jesus Christ. One of those ways is even just what Paul was talking about earlier in this text about human leaders. And this debate about these things that don't really matter and getting around camps about this leader or that leader or this person. And and when we put our faith in human leaders and not in Jesus Christ, they will always fail you. And I've seen that so many times where people who who have just been so passionate about a certain human leader, a certain pastor, a certain mentor in their life or whatever, and all of a sudden there's some kind of moral failure or something happens in that person's life and it's like they abandon their faith. They say, well, then nothing's worth it. But what it reveals is that they put their faith in that person, not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask the question, is it just a faulty foundation of even putting our faith in good people? And these are good people that God has given us in our lives. Maybe it's a faulty foundation of selective or incomplete aspects of the gospel. And Paul speaks to that in his letters to the churches all the time where they were sort of taking certain aspects of the gospel and they were adding other things in like the law of Moses and different things. Or, and we do it in different ways. But he says, no, 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 it's the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. And so it might be faulty foundations of those kinds of things. Maybe it's a faulty foundation of a false identity. Maybe all your life... You have had this identity that you are just not worthy to be loved, to be forgiven. That is a complete lie. Because of God's grace and because of God's love, you have an identity in Jesus Christ as a child of the King, made in the image of God. And this truth that the grace and the truth of the gospel 
is there for every one of us and that we don't need to build our lives on this false identity that we are not worthy, but we are made worthy because of Christ. Maybe our false identity is the experience of Christ rather than Christ himself. And for some people, they, they have had a certain encounter or maybe it's some kind of experience with God. And you see that again even in, the, in Scripture where people maybe saw miracles or things of the experience of Christ and that's what they longed for and they gravitated to and that's where they put their foundation on. And the reminder that, no, 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 it's not about the experience of Christ but about the person of Christ and about knowing Him as your foundation. Maybe it's some really good things like community or family. Those two can be faulty foundations where we hold these things in such regard that they become the very foundation of what we want to kind of build our, even our church on. And, and a lot of times, even at church, we talk a lot about community and the importance of community because it is important. But, it, but if community in and of itself becomes that idol or that foundation, it will fail. Because the foundation has to be found on Jesus Christ and to understand that we are a church and a community that is called on God's mission. And when we get that part and we see that we are called to be about the mission of God, community follows, but it's not the focus. It's a byproduct. And so we can make even those good things, or like our families, whether it's our marriage relationship, or our uh, siblings, or our children, or our parents, or whatever the case may be, these, these good gifts that God has given us, but we can make them the foundation of our lives. And when something goes sideways there, our foundation crumbles because they were never intended to be the foundation of our life. They were intended to be gifts that God has given you to enjoy. So whatever the case may be, it could be your finances, your, your uh, vocation, your career, all of these different things, your health, whatever the case, these good gifts that God gives us that were never intended to be foundations of our lives. Faulty foundations. And Paul says, no, 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 the foundation is one true foundation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we need to test that. It was interesting in my reading just uh, a few weeks ago, I came across this, this short line in Ezekiel chapter 20 where the prophet Ezekiel is speaking the words of God and this judgment to the people of Israel. And this phrase just caught me. He says, where God is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says, I let them pollute themselves with the very gifts I had given them. And this idea that the very gifts that God had given them had become the foundation of their lives and actually had become something that polluted their lives because they were used in ways that they were never intended for. And so for all of us to ask these questions of what is actually the foundation of our life, are there faulty foundations that we have placed our trust in other than Christ himself? Another image that maybe you'll find helpful is this image of a nursing log. And uh, I know a number of you have done what's known as the West Coast Trail, because I've talked to some of you even recently. There's a few groups that went even this summer. West Coast Trail is about a 75-kilometer hike along the southwest side of Vancouver Island in this rainforest there. Massive trees, unlike anything we can grow here in Saskatchewan. And uh, you see occasionally what are called nursing logs or nurse logs. These trees that have grown up, and uh, they have grown up out of something that has fallen. And so you have this massive Douglas fir tree that is there for hundreds and hundreds of years and eventually it falls and it crashes to the forest floor. And you think it is a tree that is dead, but now suddenly new life starts to emerge out of it. Because actually there's still lots of life in it and there's nutrients going through this tree and it starts to feed other trees that start to grow. And this log that has fallen and now seemingly dead becomes the very source of life for all kinds of new growth that starts. 
And so these other trees start to grow up. And that's why sometimes in a forest like that, you'll see a whole row of trees that are in perfect line. And you wonder, how in the world did that happen in the middle of a forest? And the, the tree that is below it is totally decayed and gone. But it was, they were all the result of a nursing log that helped them to grow in a perfect line. What's interesting about these nursing logs is, is when they seemingly die, that the life that is in them, the living matter within them, is actually five times as much as when they're actually standing upright. They become alive and give life to new things. And for me, these nursing logs have always been sort of an image to me of the gospel of Christ. And every metaphor, including this one, breaks down eventually. But this idea that Jesus Christ, who laid down his life, that we might live, and that we can have life in abundance, is is a picture that is given. This, This living foundation of Jesus Christ, who was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, and who rose again. And it's out of that that we may truly live. And it's this incredible picture of the gospel. And that we have a foundation of Jesus Christ who people thought they had killed and he was dead, but who rose again and overcame death so that we can truly live. More life than can ever be imagined. And so we have these different images, and I want us to think differently about how we think about a foundation, a living foundation, in different ways. And lastly, the last one I want to have us look at is the one that is found in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 4 to 21. And this is actually a prayer of Paul. And this is a picture that also speaks to soil and nutrients and roots and things that go down deep and uh, similar to first corinthians 3 that we've been looking at but in ephesians chapter 3 verses uh, uh, 14 to 21 it's this prayer of paul that again uses this imagery and even as we see on this uh, table here we we've been talking about a foundation and there's building foundation and hard materials but then there's also this soil these nutrients these seeds out of which things grow and, and that is the kind of foundation I want us to be thinking about, a living foundation that becomes the very source of support and hope for our lives that changes everything, changes everything. And so listen to this imagery and this language that the Apostle Paul uses in another letter to another church in the city of Ephesus where he prays in verse 14. He says, when I think of all this, And all this that he's talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been speaking about what the gospel is, who Jesus is, the hope that we can have in him. And he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. He says, and then, and then you will be made complete. He's talking about maturity. With all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. About how God makes us right. He creates this righteousness within us because of what he has done. And he says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And again, what a powerful text that speaks to this imagery 
that we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, of a foundation that is this soil, that are roots of our lives, that our roots can go down deep, deep, deep into this soil. And that no matter what storms come our way, no matter what circumstances come upon us, that there is a strength and a knowledge of our identity and our position in Christ that does not waver and does not change. And that we would place our lives on this one solid foundation that changes everything. That we would understand this truth of the gospel as it's been said that we are more sinful than we understand or realize. But also that God's love and grace is more beautiful and perfect and makes us right before him in ways that we will also never understand. If we could only understand how high and how wide and how deep God's love is, is what Paul is saying. So where do we go when there's nowhere to go? I don't know how your foundation will be tested. But one thing I do know is that for every one of us, at some point in our lives, for some many points in their lives, our foundations get tested in very real ways, in very painful ways, in very challenging ways. And somewhere and in some way, maybe many times over, our foundations will be tested. And the question is, is where will you go? How will we ensure that our foundation will be the foundation of Jesus Christ, the one that will last and will not fail? And then also this question of how will we build? What will we give our lives to? Will we give our lives to things that matter and have significance? And again, to not allow that question to immobilize us of what we'll give our lives to, but even just to ask ourselves this, what do we give our hours to every day? Will they stand the test of time? And will they be things that go into eternity? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truths of these words and of this text. I thank you for your grace that is overwhelming for us. And Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here that we would assess and ask the question, what is our foundation? And Lord, maybe there are people here who have never placed their trust in you and have never considered even what that might look like. And maybe today is that day that they would just acknowledge their need for you, the forgiveness of their sins, and to place their trust in this foundation of Jesus Christ. But Lord, for all of us that we would ask the question of where do we go when there is nowhere to go. And that we would be people who with intentionality and determination that we would turn in faith again to you and realize that you are the source of our hope, that you are the source of what we can place our trust in and a foundation that will not fail. And so Lord, I pray for each one here that our roots would go down deep, deep, deep into the soil of your incredible love. And may we know it, even just a little bit more in part. God, would we know it, I pray. And that you would be glorified in the church. As it says here, that all glory be given to you. And that through your mighty power that you can work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God, may you be glorified in the church and through the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.